Welcome to the Milestones Motivation and Money Podcast, a weekly conversation filled with stories of business, financial literacy, careers, leadership, and resilience. Setting and achieving goals is key, whether they are related to your finances, business, or career. I hope to empower you with these conversations no matter where you are in life. I'm your host, Angel Radcliffe, and on this show, get ready to change your mindset and start your journey to achieve your lifelong goals. So if you need a little motivation to start your day or jumpstart your next project, tune in and be sure to join our community online at milestonesmotivationmoney.com. Todd, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's an actual privilege to be here with you. Thank you. I am very excited to have you here and have this conversation around a variety of topics in relation to sales, marketing, entrepreneurship. And I am ready to get my listeners engaged and letting them know all about you and what you do. So sorry, I'm going to have to ask you the tabby question. (laughs) Tell us about (laughs) yourself. Oh my goodness. You know, and the, well, let's start off with the fact that I just turned 60. So yeah, I'm old. Okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a youngster. So I've been around a long time and just really quick. I mean, we go back to 1983 for my very first business and I've built and sold 12 businesses since then, all of them, either six or seven figure exits, except one that was just kind of so-so. And then another that was a pure nuclear disaster. But since 1983, you know, we've just been, I I call myself a marketer and recently I'm a digital marketer. So it's been marketing and making money for almost 40 years now. And while some things change, some things stay the same. And it's just been quite a journey, but it's been everything from, you know, selling physical products, information products, writing actual books, writing online training programs, the Google AdSense business we were heavy into. I actually had a 900 number company also. I I always had to call it a marketing company so that people wouldn't think it had to do with inappropriate 900 number programs. So nowadays, some people don't even know what 900 numbers are, which is interesting. But again, just makes me feel super old. So between all of those different businesses and some of them were large and some of them were, were actually quite small, and everything that we've been doing over the last 20 years, you know, I've, I feel that I'm almost come full circle, you know, as I just hit this 60 number, it really bothered me a little bit that 60, I can't get it out of my head. But in any event, I look back at everything that I've been able to accomplish both prior to the internet and now after the internet and just see nothing but opportunity. So I'm just ready to take advantage of the next opportunity that presents itself. Well, there's always room for opportunity. And I have to say, I do know what a 900 number is and I'm not old. I don't consider myself (laughs) old. (laughs) You're only old as you tell yourself you are. So I will say that. And I will say that my mom just turned 60 in December. She doesn't consider herself old. So you should not consider yourself old. (laughs) I'm going to try. I'm going to try really hard. And thank you for that. (laughs) 
Yes, I know. 800 numbers, 900. I'm not going to go too deep into it. We're not going to talk about how old I am. But, <laughs> but you know, I'm looking at your background and I was like, okay, this is very interesting. And this is not a topic that we've talked about before, some of the things that you're doing. And before we really get into the thick of it, I, I'd like to recognize that you're also a podcaster. You have your own podcast called Create Profits Online. And I listened to you an episode and I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is cool. And you, you talk about digital marketing, which is the thing now. And if people are not into digital marketing, they should be. At least these last two years should have pushed people to go digital somehow with all the restrictions of the pandemic. But you teach people how to do wholesale distribution. And I guess that's that's one component of what you do. But for people who are just ignorant to this whole marketing sales thing. What is wholesale distribution? I refer to it as the second oldest profession around. And we all know what the first is, but let's just stick with the second oldest, which is where you try to buy something for a dollar and sell it for two. So people will go to companies, distribution companies that buy from the manufacturers. So you have the manufacturers that make all of these products they go and sell in large, large quantities to these wholesale distribution companies who will then sell in smaller quantities for, for another cut of profit to the end retailer. So in effect, whether I'm selling it online or in a brick and mortar store, I'm considered a retailer in this chain of distribution. So we'll make relationships with as many of these wholesale distribution companies that we care to, to buy products at wholesale and try to turn them around and sell them at a profit any way we can. The last 20 years, it's just been online. And, and honestly, if there was a better way to do it, we would do it. It's just nothing has come up better, a better way to sell more and make, a, and make the kind of money that we're making with as little overhead that we have. So it's really funny because a lot of people think, well, Amazon owns the world and everything's sold online. And it's just not true. Even right now with the pandemic and the heyday that Amazon has had, I think the last number I saw was 18% of all retail transactions are being done online. That means 82% are still being done offline. So there's a lot of room for growth in online distribution, the buying and selling of products online. And there's so many ways to do it other than just Amazon. I just happen to have a real love-hate relationship with Amazon, mostly love, but it's just like anything else. There's days and days. So we teach people how to do this on Amazon because it's the cleanest way the least expensive way, and they have the least amount of risk in that kind of a marketplace. People that want to do it on their own through their own website, or they want to develop their own product and launch that much, much riskier. And we counsel them to wait, do the wholesale thing first, because a lot of the processes are the same. A lot of the systems are going to be the same. And then once you've made some money, if you still want to take a swing for the fences, then think about developing your own brand. But this is why I like wholesale so much. And when people understand exactly how it works on Amazon, they understand why there's room for another 100,000 Amazon sellers, no problem. Wow. So even though you just did a great job at explaining, this all went over my head. <laughs> and I'm sure for someone where this is not their expertise, they're like, what? It's almost like for myself, I'm a finance person and I've worked in finance for, for many years. And when I try to explain that to someone, they're like, okay, I don't get it. <laughs> so, you know, you, you talked about when I was looking into some of, some of your, your bio and some of what you were doing, you talked about this buy box rotation method. 
And yes. I was like, what is this? I've never heard of this in my entire life. Can you <laughs> well, expand upon that? It's funny. Sure. I actually developed this term buy box. I don't know if you've heard the term buy box before, but, but I came up with this when I was actually working with Amazon in, in a consultancy capacity a long time ago. And the, the, the term just kind of picked up. So people now use it all the time, but, but I don't get like commissions or residuals or anything. But what happens is Amazon, their goal is to have as much inventory as possible in as many of their warehouses around the country as possible so that they can deliver to the customer as fast and as inexpensively as possible. In order to accomplish this, they need multiple sellers selling the same products. Let's take a tube of Crest toothpaste. So if you have 10 sellers and they're all selling the same uh, tube of Crest toothpaste, Amazon will reward them by rotating the sales among them. As long as they're all what I call competitive sellers, they're all roughly the same price. All of them have their inventory in one of these FBA warehouses. Amazon will, will divide the sales up. I mean, that's the easiest way to say it. Divide the sales up amongst the competitive sellers. Now, this isn't a 100% rule. This is just a, a usual, this is usually how it works kind of a rule. And Amazon, they don't come up and tell you how they work. This has come from observing them since 2009, when we started selling on Amazon, watching how things have changed. And this buy box rotation is what we noticed they started doing back in 2012. Prior to that was completely different. Now, because of the pandemic and some other things, they've made some tweaks and there's always little changes, but fundamentally it works the same way. They reward multiple sellers by rotating sales around them. And that's why we call it buy box rotation. You don't have to do anything except buy the inventory, source it, get it down to an Amazon warehouse and price it competitively. And you should have already figured in your mind before you bought it, what that was gonna be so you'd know what your profit is. Amazon does everything else. Wow. Is that similar to drop shipping? Nothing like drop shipping. Matter of fact, I don't really like drop shipping. The, the biggest difference is with this buy box rotation model, you must take physical possession of the inventory. You have to either, you know, pay for it and, and buy it or get it on, on a line of credit or, or credit terms from the distributor. You have to physically take possession of that inventory and send it to an Amazon warehouse. Now there's ways to do that without ever seeing it. But the fact of the matter is you still bought it and it's your inventory. With drop shipping, you know, you're hoping that when you sell a product, the, the drop shipper actually still has it in stock and is able to send it to a customer. If they don't, you either have to go out and pay full price for it and lose money to get it to the customer or cancel the order. You know, both circumstances are are not real businesses. So I don't really like drop shipping except under very specific circumstances. So, you know, when we're working with people that want to get into wholesale buy box rotation, wholesale distribution, we make sure that, you know, you got to have some resources. You have to be able to afford or be able to finance the inventory and not be doing it with like your rent money. You know, going back to your finance background, people going into debt to start these kinds of businesses or risking money they shouldn't we're not a proponent of that. You know, we, we think this kind of a business model should be dealt with by people that have the resources and have been trained 
and understand, you know, what the risks are, and even though they're greatly minimized, you can go in with both eyes wide open and not on your last dollar. Okay. Now, you know, you talked about how you became this amazing seller, eight figure Amazon seller. What types of things were you selling on Amazon? Boring, unsexy products. You can't make any money selling the most popular products on Amazon. So we had to develop a system. We actually did it with software to be able to go through the Amazon product database and identify the products that had good sales velocity, but not a lot of competition and maximum profits. Because it's not just about making a profit, it's about maximizing your profit. And it's not about buying something and have it sitting there for six months. It's about buying it and having it turn as fast as possible. So between making the maximum profit and selling out as fast as possible, you're turning the same amount of money multiple times a year, which is going to magnify the ROI that you're, you're making because it's not annualized anymore. If you can turn the same money 12 times a year, your annual ROI is times 12. Exactly, right? So as far as to, as to the exact question of what we were selling, we were selling the middle of the road stuff, the stuff that wasn't so popular that everybody and their brother wanted to sell it. Because in that situation, profits get compressed very quickly. And we're about maximum profits, not minimum profits. So we would use this software to sort through a distributor's inventory list. So they'll, they'll give us like a, a CSV file, an Excel file of maybe the 40, 50, 60,000 products that they can sell to us. And we'll then run that through Amazon's database of current selling prices, sales velocities, competition, things like that. And the software will say, here's the products that you should buy that will maximize your profits. And it always ends up being stuff like ant killing bait, you know, or mouse glue boards, or some kind of candy nobody's ever heard of, but it's still a little popular. Those kind of garden hoses. I mean, just go on and on. Anything that's like unsexy, <laughs> that nobody would think you could make a million dollars selling. Well, guess what? You get enough of those products together and to make a million dollars a year is not that far of a reach. It becomes more plugging them all into a system so that you can manage the inventory, reorder when you need to, and end up replacing products with higher margin products, more profitable products as they come along if your uh, purchasing budget is limited, which most people's are. So you're going to buy the stuff that's popular and selling, but not the most popular and tends to be the most profitable. Okay. Well, thank you for that. I think that that's super important. And I always see these videos on Instagram where I guess advertisement advertisements I should say, where people are trying to tell you about, oh, well, this is how you find whatever product and going into the details. And I've never looked much into it because that's not my thing. But <laughs> for someone who's listening, they may be very much interested in that. But uh, you know, I want to ask you a question as far as you know, getting into this whole entrepreneurship thing. Who taught you about entrepreneurship? I guess if you had to, to ask it that way, it was probably my father, but in, in not in the way you were thinking, because my family constantly reminded me from, a, I can go back and remembering incidents when I was six years old until the day I left the ho my house 
at age 17 to join the Air Force is that we were poor. You're going to be poor. You should just be happy with whatever you can scrape together, go out and get whatever job you can and be happy you got that job and just try to die with, you know, a penny left to your name. And then that's what you have to do to get through life. And I said, no, there's got to be something else. And the turning point for me was when I was 12 years old, I needed some money. And my family said, well, then I guess it'd be interesting to see how you go make that because we're poor. And I got a job as a caddy at a country club. And I noticed that the people at the country club, not only were not walking around saying they were poor, they were obviously quite well off. So I spent two years at that country club caddying. The names now blow me away. I mean, the people that I caddied for had names on buildings. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And I actually had this one gentleman that would ask for me every Sunday, at least, at least every week. And I would start to ask him questions about, you know, how'd you make your money? What do you do for a living? And things like that. And, and to my surprise, he would actually talk to me and start to give me some advice. Now, at 12 years old, there's not, <laughs> you can't like soak everything up and they're not really giving you the keys to the city. But it, it planted in my mind that if I really did want to make money, the key was not to work for somebody else. It was to work for yourself and, and build your fortune that way, whatever, however that is that you wanted to define it. And that stuck with me. But unfortunately, at the age of 17, things were so bad in my house that my only focus was getting out. And the only way I knew of to get out was to join the Air Force. So I joined the Air Force. And being in the Air Force, I can say I, I really liked it. But at the same time, I also learned wow, I really don't want to work for anybody. I don't do real good with being told what to do and chain of command. And I mean, I did what I was supposed to, but you know what I'm saying? It just, it just tells you, yeah, you don't want to do this for 20 years. And so I got out and within, I would say within six months, I had started my very first business. And once I got the taste of that, I was pretty sure that was, I'd never wanted to work for anybody ever again. And I only ever had one real job then after that. And that was kind of following my dream of being a commercial pilot. And I ended up flying under contract with for the post office, UPS and FedEx. That actually ruined my love for flying <laughs> at that time. And I went right back to, hmm, I better start working for myself again. And I did. That was 1988. And I have not looked back since. Wow. I don't know too many people that can actually say that that, you know, they never look back. I know some people go back and forth. And I mean, some people do both. I, I have went back and forth. I've been a full-time entrepreneur twice. I've been a dualpreneur. I've done, I've done many different routes and I'm definitely looking forward to the day where I can say I never look back. <laughs> Are you familiar with Les Brown? I am. I was very fortunate to have him as a mentor earlier on in my entrepreneurial career. And he said to me, and he said this a little differently in one of his books, but he said to me right in my eyes, he said, Todd, he says, you're either in a problem, you're headed for a problem, or you've just left a problem. And how you deal with all of those situations and the times in between will determine not only how successful you are in life and business, but how happy you are. And I thought about that. And that's been in my mind, you know, ever since. And it's probably had the greatest impact on me because now a lot of things that would cause people to say, hmm, I better go get a job again, or hmm, I made a mistake. This is too difficult. If you think the way 
Les Brown taught me to think. You're like, oh, here's here's another situation I just found myself in. I better figure out how to go around it, through it, over it, under it, without sacrificing my dreams. And my dream, my one dream has always been to finish this life, never having to work for anybody ever again, and having enough money and time freedom to do whatever I want. That was always my dream. And how I accomplished it has changed over the years, but it's always the same dream. Wow. That's very good advice. So definitely we'll have to add that quote. <laughs> but I thank you so much for sharing, sharing much of your background. I know, you know, one piece I do want to get into, and I, I thought was very interesting that you shared in your bio is that you did a 60 month stint in prison. And I thought that was being, you know, you being very transparent and I would definitely like to, you don't have to go too deep into it, but definitely get some more understanding about what happened and what motivated you outside of that, because 60 months is a long time. That's five years. And that can definitely have a drastic impact on someone's life. So what, what took you to that particular point? To clarify, it was a 60 month sentence. And okay. as I actually did three years and three days of actual confinement. So I just don't want to mislead anybody with Yeah. But the judge said 60 months, you know, it, it took me a long time after that and lots of hours of counseling to be able to figure out what happened. And to your point, we could talk about this for hours, but to drill it down to, to its most simple points is that the programming I had in my life growing up wasn't great, was not good at all. It was absolutely find the shortcuts. You know, it's okay to, to, to lie. It's okay to do this. It's okay to beat the system. Despite the fact that we were poor, I, I guess we were poor in the way that we didn't have to follow the rules. My, my dad was an ultimate rule breaker and he was a state employee. He was a bank examiner. So to have a, a role model like that really messed me up, but I didn't realize it until I was past the age of 40. That's how damaging programming can be when you're growing up. So what it resulted for me was making irrational decisions and doing a lot of justification. So when you start making irrational decisions and justifying them, you're basically headed down the wrong road. Now, my road was very long. It, I was successful in business while at the same time being self-destructive with the decisions I was making. It just didn't catch up with me until 2002 when I had a very large commodity brokerage firm that I had been operating quite legally and successfully for a long period of time. And one day I made a bad decision because of pride and this disrespect for authority, the rules, and I can do what I want because it's the best for my customers, irrational thinking. Well, the federal government has no sense of humor about these kinds of things. And, and they don't see you as just thinking illogically. They see you as breaking their rules and their rules have consequences. And in my case, the consequences were about as severe as they could have been for me. I, I was $2.2 million in debt. I lost my business, all of my licenses, my house, everything, and 2.2 million in debt. And the government, just then they look at you and say, well, yeah, we think you need some prison time too. Now, the, the 
worst part about that situation is my, I blew my world up in February of 2002 and had to start over in March when I started selling on eBay. And I didn't get, I didn't know what was going to happen to me. It wasn't until January of 2005 when they finally said, yeah, we're going to charge you with one count of mail fraud. And I didn't even want to plea. I felt so bad and so guilty at that point and just wanted to be, I just wanted to start over with my soul, if you will. And so I didn't take a plea. I just walked right into court. I pled straight up guilty and got sentenced in September, I believe, no, August 2005 to 60 months. And I, and I was like, oh, okay. And I couldn't even be upset about it because if it wasn't for the way I put myself in that situation because of the decisions I made, a federal judge would not have been given the opportunity to sentence me to 60 months in prison. So I, I took that time as what it was. It was a reset. And I said, I'm going to start over and I'm going to figure out why I was making bad decisions. Why was I being so self-destructive? And it took me years, but I finally got to the point where I thought I understood it. I, I've never been happier. You know, even the, even the last 20 years, some of the most stressful things back in 2002, 2005, entering prison, spending three years, some of the most stressful things. And I still wouldn't change a thing because when I got out and I had nothing again in this um, October of 2008, I had the opportunity to start over and do it the right way this time. And so that's, that's it in a nutshell. And I've, I never forget every day I wake up and I look in the mirror and I say, you know, you have the opportunity to make your life amazing or to completely blow it up again. Don't make the wrong decision every single day. Well, that's really great advice, Todd. And thank you so much for being transparent and sharing. I, I definitely think self-reflection is critical no matter what you go through in life, if it, whether if, if it's good, if it's bad, especially if you hit a rough patch, because you have to understand how you got there and what has transpired in your life and what are you willing to work on and change. And I think we should always be, we should always be working on, working on ourselves. And so many people don't have that mindset. It does boil down to your mindset. Oh, 100%. My friends always laugh at me because Anytime someone says something, I'm like, you need therapy. <laughs> Me, friend, family member, I'm like, yeah, you know, you got some things that work going. You got to go to therapy because I mean, we sometimes we have things to unpack and things that have happened in our childhood, and we have to find ways that we can walk through life and disown those generational curses. And it sounds like you've done just that. And it's yeah. not an easy thing to do. So it's anybody not, that feels not. going through the same thing, just keep your head down and keep moving forward, and things will get better. Great advice. I, you know, I want to get back to to some the topic of the show, but uh, you know, I know that we're we're really close to the end here, but definitely some more questions here. And someone might be listening, and they're like, "Okay, very sounds very interesting." Someone maybe maybe just like me, where they're like, "Hey, this is like way over my head." What advice would you give to someone who's looking to get into that space of digital marketing, selling, and, and things that you're doing? I'm a huge proponent of education and just lately online education. I think, well, we could have a long discussion about what I think about a college and traditional education. But the fact of the matter is, 
it's easier to get good training, good instruction, find a good mentor, and get to the finish line more wholly intact and faster than beating your head against the wall, trying to figure everything out on your own. Now, the problem nowadays is every 20-year-old out there on YouTube wants to be your life coach, 20 years old. <laughs> You know, and you're like, hmm, he sounds interesting, but you know, do I really want to trust the 20 year old? And I'm not being ageism, I'm not ageist or anything like that. I'm just saying, use your head, you know, <laughs> if it sounds too good to be true or sounds like real fishy or something's going on, your instincts are probably correct. So I would get with somebody that's accomplished what you want to accomplish, but isn't so far down the road that they're not willing to like talk to you direct. And a lot of these, I'm going to say the word guru. I hate that word. I, I get it applied to me every now and then, and I just shudder, but, but I do use it in a negative. A lot of gurus out there will pitch the sizzle, none of the steak. And then when you invest to learn from them, they won't give you the time of day. And that's a shame. And that's a real, a real sad statement of online education today. So you really want to be careful who you're going to work with, make sure they're willing to have, you know, some discussion with you when you get stuck, because you will get stuck. You will get stuck. I have been through so many training programs. I probably spend 50, 60,000 a year just on masterminds and training programs and whatnot to further my own skill set and to stay as, as sharp as I can. And some of it is just really, really bad. You, you want a step one through 10 process and step three is missing and seven is missing. So it's really important that you're able to be a part of a community also of like-minded people that the mentor is a part of. You don't want it to be an elitist thing where he's just never there and you're just dealing with other people trying to accomplish the same thing. You want to make sure you have that, that support level because you will struggle maybe many times, but you can overcome if you have the right information and the right support and the right mentor. Absolutely. And, you know, I have to come to the defense of the 20 year olds because <laughs> for one minute, it did sound like you're being a little bit of an ageist. I'm not 20 anything, but you know, for someone who, who is 20 or 20 something, and they may be in that space. I mean, there could be someone much younger than them or even at that same age who, who doesn't have their life together, who can look to that person for that quote unquote life coach. So, you know, I think that, that's, that's the, the are, DNI are... advocate outside of me coming to the defense. <laughs> that's cool. I think 20 year olds are perfect for, <laughs> for advocating to, to younger folks. I love yeah, it when right. I see the younger folks reaching down mm -hmm. to the other younger folks to, to pull them up. But yeah, that's kind of where I draw the line. That's cool. <laughs> next topic. No. <laughs> so, you know, now comes the question of the show because uh, I love this. And, you know, I mentioned to you earlier before we start recording a lot about what I do as far as financial literacy, I have a brand of a few different brands that go along with what I do. And one of those is balling on a budget. And it's also a workbook. I have a workbook. I, I tend to give out when I'm hosting workshops and speaking engagements, but just that phrase balling on a budget, it's been around for many years. When you hear that phrase, what does that mean to you? It's funny because that's the first time I've heard it and I really? love it. Where you been? <laughs> I know, right? Head down and moving forward. <laughs> I am quite I am quite isolated in a lot of things. I will first to admit it, but I love that term. It's been around since 900 numbers. <laughs> oh my goodness, ball on a budget. <laughs> to me, it means that whatever, whatever your resources are, 
you're maximizing the value and you're happy. And, and if you can do that, you're balling. Okay. We'll take that. Everyone has their own <laughs> definition. I love that term. Did no you come up with that? Is that your, is that your term? It's not proprietary to me. It's been around for years or, okay. I mean, okay. I'm not going to say how old I was, but it's been around for many years since 900 numbers, <laughs> but uh, now, so, but yeah, all righty. So, so Todd, I definitely appreciate you sharing a lot of the information you've shared today around entrepreneurship and some of your story. I know we don't necessarily have a full show to, to dig deep, but you know, our guests are always, or listeners are always welcome to reach out to you and visit your site and find out more about you. But is there anything specifically that you are working on that you would like our listeners to know about? Yes. And, and thank you very much for the opportunity to mention this. Over the years that I've been creating businesses and, and been trying to help people, the one thing that I saw that was the most successful method that helped people become successful was a mastermind group. But the better word is community. So community mastermind group. So like-minded people that want to get together and learn what I call the right way to create profits online. So I've recently created this group in partnership with a wonderful, wonderful lady. Her name's Elena Saris. She's a former criminal defense attorney in the state of California who only did capital cases. She's actually quite well known and has had some high profile cases. But her and I have gotten together and formed this Create Profits Online community. And if anyone's interested, they can come visit us at createprofits.online. So not .com, but createprofits.online. And we let people in for free for a couple of weeks to check things out and meet people and see if it's they think it's a good fit for them to get the, the support that they really need, no matter what method they're using to make money online. We, we have enough experience in so many different verticals that we find we're able to resolve most issues for most people right within the community. All right, awesome. Any last words that you have for listeners today? I think that it is very, very important to surround yourself with the like-minded people. So if you are thinking of doing something outside your comfort zone or outside the your friend's comfort zone, whether it's making money online or any other important decision, keep the toxic people out of your life. Surround yourself with the people who have done what you want to do and get your mind right. That's the best thing you can do for yourself. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Be sure to leave us a review and let us know any ideas you have for a future show topic. And if you really want to show us some love, share this episode with a friend and be sure to join our community online, milestonesmotivationandmoney.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at milestonesmotivationandmoney. Tune in next time.